Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 641. Seen a face so sweet, a mouth so made for kissing. She was no longer frowning, not smiling either. Her lips were soft and slightly parted. She took another step. The simple motion of her moving leg was like a dance. The unexaggerated shift of her hip, entrancing as a fire. The arch of her bare foot said more of sex than anything I'd seen in my young life. Another step. Her smile was fierce and full. She was as lovely as the moon. Her power hung about her like a mantle. It shook the air. It spread behind her like a pair of vast, unseen wings. Close enough to touch, I felt her power thrumming in the air. Desire rose around me like the sea in storm. She raised her hand. She touched my chest. I shook. She met my eyes, and in the twilight written there, I saw again the four clear lines of song. I sang them out. They burst from me like birds into the open air. Suddenly my mind was clear again. I drew a breath and held her eyes in mine. I sang again, and this time I was full of rage. I shouted out the four hard notes of song. I sang them tight and white and hard as iron. And at the sound of them, I felt her power shake and shatter, leaving nothing in the empty air but ache and anger. Hilurian gave a startled cry and sat so suddenly that it was almost like a fall. She curled her knees toward herself and huddled, watching me with wide and frightened eyes. Looking around, I saw the wind. Not the way you might see smoke or fog. I saw the ever-changing wind itself. It was familiar as the face of a forgotten friend. I laughed and spread my arms, marveling at its shifting shape. I cupped my hands and breathed a sigh into the hollow space within. I spoke a name. I moved my hands and wove my breath gossamer thin. It billowed out, engulfing her, then burst into a silver flame that trapped her tight inside its changing name. I held her there, above the ground. She watched me with an air of fear and disbelief, her dark hair dancing like a second flame inside the first. I knew then that I could kill her. It would be as simple as throwing a sheet of paper to the wind. But the thought sickened me, and I was reminded of ripping the wings from a butterfly. Killing her would be destroying something strange and wonderful. A world without Fulurian was a poorer world, a world I would like a little less. It would be like breaking Ilian's loot. It would be like burning down a library in addition to ending a life. On the other hand, my safety and sanity were at stake. 
I believed the world was more interesting with Quoth in it as well. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. Where to begin? There's so much on this page. I have a couple thoughts. The The first thought I have is that he, uh, there are at least two perhaps subtle references to other women in his life on this page. The first of which is when he describes Florian as being lovely as the moon. This is verbatim the way he describes Denna after encountering her in Treban. Flawless, or not flawless, perhaps, but perfect is is what follows that in the original description. But um, lovely as the moon is is exactly how he describes Denna at one point. And then later on, on this page, uh, he evokes the sea in storm, which, of course, we've seen a few more times. This might be a ref- like a reference. Uh, Devi describes herself or describes her Alar as uh, sea and storm, I believe. Uh, so it's just interesting to me that, uh, you know, maybe the second one is a reach, but I do think that the first one, uh, when Quoth is fighting against her magical desire wiles, the idea that he feels the same way about her, he describes her in the same way he describes Denna, a woman he actually loves. Um, I don't think that's unintentional. Mm-hmm. I have a weird recollection of a sea and storm being a way that he describes someone's eyes, but I don't know if that's like just my brain being weird. That's probably, I mean, it could happen in this book. I'm pretty sure that's mostly from the Princess Bride. Oh, that happens in the movie? Yeah, he Buttercup describes Wesley's eyes like, I guess, a sea after oh. a storm or sea before a storm or something like that, but... Um... That's that's what maybe I think it of. is. I watched The Princess Bride a lot, and I did not clue into that being a direct quote. So it could also just be that these are imageries or phrases that Rothfuss just returns to uh, again and again in his writing. Every writer has like little ticks like that, where like you a little a phrase that you like and that you find evocative just sticks in your brain, and then you you end up using it more than once without you thinking use it about much it. and more. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. And like, I actually think that one, for example, is a stylistic choice on Rothfuss's part. Like, that's that's like a an, an idiom in Westeros. But yeah, that's also kind of an example. Uh, I I think in Roth, I think in Martin's case, that one is deliberate. But uh, his penchant for describing people eating uh, lamprey pies and and rashes of bacon, maybe not so much. I have to say, this sort of wizard's duel that's happening between the two of them. This is exactly how I like my magic in fantasy books. Cause it, no one is explaining what they're doing. No one is like saying, ah, well you see, I had uh, named her and then she cast a counter spell, but uh, I named her again and that broke the counter spell. Uh, and my, you know, I focused my X amount of Alar on her Y amount of fairy power and by executing a complicated series of blah, 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 blah. Like, no, it's described as though we are an outsider, uh, which is kind of interesting because Quoth's describing an experience he partook of, but it almost seems like he doesn't fully know how to explain what's happening here. Almost like he was overtaken by his sleeping mind and he's acting on pure naming instinct. That uh, is basically what to- happens. He does. He does sort of like lose it it drifts away from him at the end of the sequence when he kind of comes back to himself. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only reason he's able to do what he does, right? He's like complete. He, in a moment of, of panic and, and trauma, he accesses his sleeping mind, which he can't really do like by willing it, right? He's only ever done it by accident. Uh, and it's so powerful because he's so uh, emotionally distraught that it allows him to like name Fullerian and sort of overpower her. But I don't think Foth could do that uh, if he was consciously trying to. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like, you know, that's, that's what Elodin is always trying to achieve, right? It's always trying to bring you to this state of, of, I don't know, of total, total emotion or total social unguardedness. I don't know. It's interesting to try to pick it apart. Do you think that's why he let like the, um, cause okay. So when Elodin like pushes him off the roof, Elodin doesn't push him off the roof. He jumps like, off. Really, he jumps. But, no, I know. I know. I know. He doesn't actually push him off the roof, but like, Theoretically, falling to your death could put you in that state. <laughs> yeah, theoretically, could. I get maybe maybe Elodin is kind of half thinking like, well, if he's really got it, if he's really got what it takes, maybe he'll name the wind and save himself. Uh, that's possible. Actually, now that you mention it, Jeremy, I I do want to talk a little bit about naming the wind, and also this kind of ties into what you were saying about like counterspell. Then I cast a reverse counterspell, and then I used tensors, arcane defense grid to summon the space lasers that defeated her magic wizardry. I, I I agree that this sequence is like at a distance and it is not made specific what is happening, but I think that with enough context, uh, you can actually kind of read it that way. You can read it or like you can understand what's happening well, at each stage. Of yes. It. The storytelling is clear. The storytelling is clear. But well, I mean, even even technically kind of within the magic system, you can kind of go, OK, like here he's he's speaking. He's like understanding the name of the, the spell or something. But I'm actually I'm building up to something here, um, which is that I always kind of understood this sequence to be Quoth discovering Felurian's name and naming Felurian. But now I'm not so sure, because now I think what he does, what saves him is naming the wind. I don't know that he names Florian. He names something that causes her power to wane. Uh, maybe he like is able to name her spell or something, but I'm not convinced that's Florian necessarily. But what he does do explicitly is see the wind like a familiar friend. He breathes into the hollow space of his hands and speaks a name. And I don't think that it's Florian's name. I think it's the name of the wind. And he kind of traps her inside the silver flame of the wind trapped inside its changing name. And it tousles her hair around like a, a second flame inside the first. I think that he hasn't named Fullerian and I, you know, mea culpa because in my memory, I always understood this to be him learning Fullerian's name. I think that he's naming the wind here. Objection. He's doing both. On the previous yeah, page, he looks at Fullerian, his sleeping mind awakes. He understands her down to the marrow of her bones. Her eyes were like four lines of music clearly penned. My mind was filled with a sudden song of her. I drew a breath and sang it out in four hard notes. He's naming her, and then he does it again on this page. And then he also names the wind to trap her. Okay, well, uh, uh, stuff can name two things. Hmm. Yes. But, okay, wait. So I think that he, like, Sleeping Mind named her, and that put him in the right mindset to see other names, and the first one he sees is the wind because it's the one he knows. Yeah, I mean, I think... My reading is a little bit different in that I think in this state, if he stayed in this state of mind, he could just name anything. 
Right, but as as we all know, the longer you spend in the naming state, the less life you have uh, of natural life because it's so energetically difficult to access uh, the power of all the previous namers who came before you. What? Is this a bit? He's doing an avatar course... bit, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, namer Korra severs the sequence and, and makes it impossible for any new namers to be born. But uh, we don't talk about uh, namer Korra. Hmm. We don't talk about season two of Namor Korra at any rate. Do either of you? Is it season Bruno? two? I think it isn't it season three. That's the, I know. I do recall there's no, one of them that is like noticeably cheaper. I need to rewatch that. Season show. three is by far the best. Season three has like the the team of uh of uh the team of, of like vendors. fringe namers or fringe. Um, yeah, they're um, like anarchist vendors. Yeah, and they all do like she. She has hey, the octopus stance. This is not Page of Korra. The, the laser. <laughs> it could render. be though, yeah. listeners. We're we're doing a hard pivot into Page of Korra. That can be a Patreon yeah. I episode. mean, each season is a book, right? So you could definitely mm. do. Oh my god! Uh, a a page of the <laughs> page of Jordana, the. The only way to the only way to defeat us is to name us, and by name us, I mean you have to you have to say your things you said you had so many things you wanted to talk about only jordana can master all four things and bring peace to the podcast that's right right okay i had a crackpot theory but i think i oh yeah, yeah yeah okay 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 so crackpot theory what if okay so he's he's in that state in which and he sees the wind and stuff but what if the wind like was already there and was helping him out. He just didn't see it before because he wasn't in the right state of mind. Not a lot. That's why it's a crackpot theory. <laughs> totally. I totally think it is. And I think there's lots of examples of both being helped out by the wind. Well, I just, yeah, but what in I this mean, scene is the wind doing he, to help he him? He sees he it and it. it, and it's there. And I feel like it's presence helps him to have the ability to name Flory in like a weird way. I don't know. I don't know. But he doesn't see it until after he names her. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't like... I just think it's interesting that it's always the wind that happens to be the thing. Uh, yeah, I like... I I don't disagree with you, but I just want to know what evidence we have to suggest that that's happening before... Not a lot. That's why it's a crackpot theory. Do we have a lot of evidence for time loops? No. Does Nick bring it up all the time? Yes! Yeah, and every time I go, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> Well, you can think that about my crackpot theory too, Jeremy. I do. <laughs> I think that about all theories. If there's no evidence or scant evidence or circumstantial evidence in the text to support it, then I think it's bubkiss. That has always been my stance. Well, I think you're bubkiss. Well, what evidence do you have to suggest I think, that? I think uh, David Hume would have something to say about that, Jeremy. David Hume could bite me. Who's David Hume? <laughs> A philosopher. He's why we're all called humans, because he figured out, you know, he was the first one. You're telling me a Ferengi read David Hume and named us? Yes. Cool. Right. Okay, so... Not our best work. Not not our best bits today. I think we're all a little tired. I think that was great. Uh, speak personally. for yourself. I just don't make bits. Hmm. I feel like I had what things, kind of but you two got off Jordana on such tangents make? that now now my things are, are all misplaced. Hmm. I'm going to try and do a bit that's like, if Jordana did bits, the kind of bit Jordana would do. 
Okay. It'd be a dad joke. Um, huh. Hmm. Harder than know. it I looks. Have, I yeah, it is harder than it looks. Jordana, can you do a bit so that, that I know what it seems like? No, I have no kind idea how to do bits. Bit? I don't know how to do bits. What makes <laughs> you think I know how to do bits? I never do bits. All right. Does anyone have anything <laughs> of import to say on this page? Because if not, I'm going to start our outro. Okay, you can start the outro. Oh. I'm ready. Then I'll... Oh, what was that? What was that? Well, I, I just... you know, the, we, There's a there's letters and stuff, but the, you know they're all kind of long now, so I guess this one's almost already 20 minutes. So let's, Maybe uh, if you two didn't spend so much time talking about Quora we would have gotten this done sooner and you could have read a letter. Well, we'll get it done sooner on tomorrow's page. Uh, Someone has to talk about Cora. Dwin! That's right. We need to talk about Cora. Yeah, the famous movie with Tilda Swinton and John C. Riley. We oh need God, to talk stop. about Cora. And Ezra Miller. Yeah. <laughs> Ezra Miller as Cora? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> going around <laughs> randomly punching people in uh, Republic City. Make it stop! Yeah, firebending her dad. 